Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Well, good morning. Good to see you today. My name is Josh, again, if you don't know me, and uh, one of the pastors here. Just really glad that you're with us. Glad you guys are joining us online and uh, that you can be with us today. And today we continue our series through the New Testament book of Acts, but we kind of take a break from Acts for just a second because last Sunday in our text, we saw Paul wrap up his ministry in the city of Philippi. Well, if if you've read your Bible at all, you may know this, and if you don't know this, you'll learn it today, that uh, later, Paul writes a letter to that church. And uh, it's a letter in the New Testament called the Book of Philippians. And, And so about 10 to 12 years after he's with them, while he's in prison in Rome, he writes them a letter. And uh, so we're going to look at that today, just an overview of kind of what would Paul say to this group of people that we just read about in the last couple weeks and studied him spending time with. And uh, so with that, let me pray, and then we're going to jump in, and we'll start with just a really quick review so we can bring you up to speed in the story, and then we'll fast forward to Paul being in Rome and writing this letter. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd help us today to, to understand your word and uh, to apply it to our lives. I pray you'd help me as I teach it uh, to be clear, to be helpful, that my words would be your own. And Holy Spirit, help us all understand these things that you've written through Paul to the church in Philippi, but for us. And help us then uh, apply it to our lives and leave changed. May Jesus be made much of, and uh, might we have a lot of joy, like Paul writes about. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, a, a review of the story in your handout this morning, I included a little map, because some of you, I know, like maps, you've mentioned that. And some of you, you may even have maps in your Bible. And did you know, chances are, if you've got maps in the back of your Bible, one of them is uh, the path that Paul takes through Acts at different times on different journeys of planting churches. And so you'll recognize some of the spots we've talked about on there. But where we're at now, Paul is in this city of Philippi, and he got here after leaving Antioch, and he went back through other churches he had been at previously on his first journey. And this is what people often call his second missionary journey, his second church planting journey. And he tries to go at this point in the map, he tries to make it through Asia and go over to this area called Lydia, and all the cities are on the coast there in Asia, but the Holy Spirit stops him. And so then he tries to turn north, he and Silas and Timothy, who they picked up along the way, into Bithynia, to the north towards the Black Sea, but he couldn't get there. They're making their way across what's today called Turkey. And so they keep going, and they end up in a little city called Troas on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And in Troas, Paul has a dream, he has a vision where God speaks to him. And in this dream, there's this guy kind of waving to him and calling to him. 
And the man is from this area called Macedonia across the sea. And he says, Paul, come. We need you to come and tell us about Jesus and come and teach us the gospel and all the things you've been sharing everywhere else. And so what happens is uh, Paul wakes up and he's like, hey, I know where God wants us to go now. He's closed all these doors, but now I know where we're going. And so they take off, they sail across the Aegean Sea, which is a little hard to see because it's all white here, but it's this area right here. They land on shore and they make their way inland about 10 miles to Philippi. When they get to Philippi, there's no synagogue, a, a Jewish gathering place. That's where Paul always started on his journeys in these cities. But in Philippi, there isn't one. And instead, though, he learns a little bit that, well, there's this group of women who uh, they're interested in God and they're praying to God. And it sounds like the God of the Bible you're talking about. And they meet down by the river, Paul, outside of town. And so he and Timothy and Silas, and now they actually have picked up another guy in Troas called Luke, who's a doctor, a medical doctor, and he's with them. And they all go down uh, to the river where these women are praying. And while they're praying, uh, Paul gives the op- takes the opportunity to teach them about Jesus and to have kind of a gospel conversation with them and share the gospel with them. And one of the, women who, one of the people who comes to faith is this woman named Lydia. She's a prominent businesswoman. She was actually from over here in Asia, which it's good the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from going there. He would have never met her because she was in Philippi that day. And, and she's selling purple goods. She was pretty well-to-do. These purple goods were were popular among those who had the means to, to purchase them, and uh, especially even uh, government officials who had wealth. And she's selling them, and so she's wealthy. And she comes to faith, as does her household, all of her servants, people who work for her. And at the end of that, she's like, Paul, I've got a big house. God's been really good to me. Why don't you guys stay at my house? I got room. Paul's like, no, no, no. And, but it's, it tells us in the text in Acts 16 that she prevailed on them. You know, kind of like your grandma when she just keeps dumping out, helping after helping at Thanksgiving. Like, nope, you're going to eat it. Oh, but I'm full. No, here you go. She prevailed on him and they went to, went to her house and stayed there for a while. And they were there for at least a week, probably a couple weeks when they're going back down on another Sabbath day to go pray. And this little girl's following them around who... Uh, she was owned by some slave masters because she was possessed by a demon and she would do fortune telling and they made money off of her. Well, she does this for a number of days uh, saying things about Paul and he gets annoyed and he casts the demon out of her. And these guys get furious with Paul because of what he did because they just lost their source of income. They drag him into the city square, have him beaten, stripped, thrown into prison And so Paul's in prison, and while he's in prison, he begins praying and singing, and in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. He and Silas are in prison, and everything shakes. It's strong enough to break free all of their chains and open the doors to the prison, but not collapse the roof. Sounds like maybe God designed it intentionally. And uh, as they're sitting there, the Philippian jailer, he's going to kill himself, because uh, Philippi, you see, was like this little enclave of Rome, basically. It had all the rights of the people in Rome, and it was kind of like a little Rome. And uh, this Philippian jailer in the Roman government, if you were guarding prisoners and uh, they escaped, you got their sentence in their place. Well, he didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be humiliated publicly. He didn't want to be executed. He just decided, I'm going to kill myself. And so he's about to do that when Paul shouts out to him, hey, no, no, we're all here. We're all safe. We're in the prison. Don't do it. He comes rushing in, uh, they talk, and Paul shares the gospel with him. And the jailer and all of his household come to faith. 
And then uh, Paul eventually gets free. He goes on his way. And uh, if you want to know more of the details, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16 or go back and listen to the last couple weeks' messages on our website. Uh, But now we fast forward um, after Lydia came to faith in her household, after this young girl was freed, and after uh, this Roman uh, jailer and law enforcement officer comes to faith and his whole household And the church begins growing. And and we read at the end of that, after Paul's freed, he goes to visit Lydia's house again because that's where the church was meeting. She was wealthy enough, she just gave of her treasure of her home to let the church meet there. Well, Paul takes on, we'll see it next Sunday, he goes on to Thessalonica and trouble follows him. But in this letter that he writes to the church there in Philippi, he's writing from prison, not in Philippi, but prison in Rome. He's way over here now in Italy. And this is about 12 years later. He made his way there through shipwreck and all kinds of other crazy things happening. And he's waiting trial. He's waiting to find out, am I going to be beheaded and executed or are they going to let me go and I'm going to be free? In the meantime, he thinks, I'm going to reach out to the people I love and I'm going to write a letter to that church in Philippi. And that's what we have in front of us is this letter to the church. And it kind of starts... uh, like this, if you got your Bible, you can turn to Philippians, and uh, if you don't know where to find it, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. You can just remember that if you like popcorn. That's how I remember what order they come in. I know I'm weird, but that's how, how I do it. Philippians chapter one, here's what we read in Philippians chapter one. Uh, Paul says this, starting in verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's in prison. He's like, I'm thinking about you guys, and I thank God every time I remember you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're gonna see that idea of partnership being a a huge issue, and you, you hear people even from the other room screaming with joy, right? As they're packing food in partnership with the gospel to get food to people who need it in Haiti, to the church there. But all of these promises here, they're they're written to the church in Philippi. They're for us, but they're hinged on this partnership. And Paul says, I'm sure of this then, that he who began a good work in you, in your partnership in the gospel, he's going to complete it at the end of the day in Jesus Christ. He's going to keep that going in you. And it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, there's no other letter where Paul is quite so sappy about the people he's writing to. He just, he loves these people. He loves this church. And it's my prayer then, he says, that your love may abound more and more with, all, with knowledge and all discernment so that you might approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So there's the intro to the letter, Paul writes, 12 years later, back to the church in Philippi. You know, sometimes Paul writes letters that are corrective. You know, maybe theologically, they're believing something that's a little bit out of whack, like he writes to the Galatians, or sometimes it's an issue with sin, Like he writes about, especially the sin of sexual morality and things happening in Corinth. 
Sometimes he writes to individuals like Timothy and Titus and just encourages them as young pastors on how to pastor and care for the church. But you know, the, the letter to the Philippians is totally different. It's totally different in that it's simply a thank you letter. You know, it makes me think like after I graduated high school or things like that, and my mom and dad made me sit down and write thank you notes to everybody. And I was more concerned with just saying, thank you, here you go, stick it in the mail. Then I can have my my gift and all those things after I fulfill my duty of saying thank you. But Paul doesn't do that. He's just thanking them from the depth of his heart for their partnership. And we're going to see that this morning. A couple other things about the book, just for you to know, uh, that are curious about this book. Some certain mentions in the book of Philippians. Do you know, uh, uh, 16 times Paul mentions joy. And next to that, uh, he mentions rejoice another 10 times. Paul talks about joy and rejoicing 26 times. In, in my Bible, it's three pages. 26 times he's talking about that. And if there's a theme for the book of Philippians, it's joy. It's joy. Additionally, the next thing he mentions the most is like your mindset or your thinking, your focus. And he talks about that 18 different times in the book of Philippians. Now I wonder, do you know how many times Paul mentions sin in his letter to the Philippians? None. He never mentions it. Zero times. Were they sinless? No, they were messed up just like us. But this is a personal note. Paul wasn't writing uh, to correct them in any way. He's just writing to people that he loves. Even less that he's writing to the church as a whole or a church gathering, he's writing to people that he loves in Philippi. This was a personal note, and it was a thank you note. You know, we talk about all those things, and even in your handout, there's a little blurb down here about Philippians, some notes, um, just some basic things. Uh, let me encourage you. You might find this helpful. i just share it with you because it helps me. Uh, this is my Bible from when I was in high school, and uh, I used to write all over this thing. And on the uh, letter to the Philippians, I, I just I marked this thing up like crazy. I mean, it's duct taped together now from when I was in high school. And one of the things I wrote about Philippians is that Philippians is a thank you note or a letter to the people of Philippi for supporting Paul in his ministry. Well, today I still, still write in my Bible and mark it up, but maybe a little less, uh, with less abandon as I did in high school. But I share this with you because it might be helpful for you because I find it helpful all the time when I'm reading the New Testament. So like in the letter to the Philippians, any letter, I'll write a few things at the top. I'll write like, okay, if this story shows up in Acts, where? And so I'll write story and then Acts 16, 11 through 40. So now I know when I'm reading Philippians and Paul's talking about certain people, maybe I can go find out who they are back in the book of Acts. And then uh, I'll write like, what's the problem? What's the big idea he's addressing? Well, in Philippians, there's none. He's writing a thank you note to them for supporting him. And uh, this, is, this is the Bible I'm using right now. And then I'll put some key verses there in the top. So uh, for Philippians, I have a 121. To live is Christ, but to die is gain, Paul says. He'll say in uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, about having the mind of Christ. And it also speaks of, of Jesus' humanity and how he emptied himself to love us and serve us. And then 3.8, how everything pales in comparing to know, knowing Jesus. And chapter 4, verse 8, about being intentional in your thinking. And we're going to 
talk about that this morning as well. I just share that with you because maybe that'd be helpful for you. You know, as you're reading God's word, jot some of those things down so you can find it a little quicker and be reminded, you know, it's okay to write in your Bible. It is okay. You got permission. It'll be all right. And if you don't have a Bible, there's, uh, there's some in the pew rack in front of you. You can just take it and it can be yours. Write your name in the front and that one can be yours. But the theme of Philippians really is true joy. It's the overriding theme in this letter. And one of the things that maybe for us to talk about as we get going is like this difference between happiness and joy. And, and maybe we're nitpicking a little bit here because the Bible talks about happiness and about being glad and happy in the Lord. Uh, so when I'm saying this, I'm just, I'm using this terminology to think of like, where's our focus? And so if my focus is just on happiness, well, happiness in, in that sense comes from my happenings. You know, uh, how are things going in my life this week? How's my job right now? What's my bank account look like? What are my relationships like? And I find happiness in all of my happenings. Whereas joy, I find joy in Christ. It, it's, it's, a, it's a layer deeper than just what's happening. And that I can even have joy when my happenings are not good. And what's curious is that's Paul's situation, right? He's in prison, in a Roman prison right now writing this. And not in the greatest situation. If his focus was on his happenings, what he writes here in this letter would be, I think, radically different it probably look uh, more like my journal sometimes when I just complain about things going on in life. Do you ever do that? Like I'm glad that Paul wrote this as an example for me. Uh, Solomon, uh, the second wisest man to Jesus to ever live, talks about some of these differences between happiness and true joy. In other words, a focus on what's happening in my life and a focus on Christ. In fact, uh, Solomon was uh, one of the wealthiest men to ever live. He had everything you could imagine. Every uh, creature comfort available to him in his day was his. Every source of pleasure that he could have, he pursued. Whether it was food or women, he had over a thousand wives and concubines. Whether it was just some material gain, he pursued it all. And at the end of his life, he writes an essay about that pursuit and what he found. It's called Ecclesiastes and it's in the Old Testament. And here's what Solomon writes. He says, uh, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, that's Solomon, who ruled in Jerusalem. And he says, everything is meaningless. That's how Solomon sums up life a life of pursuing pleasure, of pursuing everything he could get and gain on his own. He's like, it's just, it's meaningless. Completely meaningless. He goes on and he says, I mean, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Because Solomon did work hard and he had, he had all kinds of great things. Generations come and then generations go, but the earth never changes. I mean, the sun rises, the sun sets, then it just hurries around to, to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north and around and around it goes. It just blows in circles. That's life, like it's just meaningless. Rivers run into the sea, but the, I mean, the sea's never full. Then the water returns to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything, I mean, it's just wearisome. It's just the same old, same old, over and over, meaningless. 
No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content, he says. Uh, history merely repeats itself. It's, it's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. I mean, sometimes people say, hey, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We, we don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No, no one will remember what we're doing now. It's meaningless, Solomon says. The guy who had it all. Well, Solomon goes on and on, and I won't uh, read all of it, but by the end of 12 chapters later, he makes a conclusion. And in his conclusion, one of the things he writes about is just that there, there's, there's joy in seeking good and honoring God, and he sums it up in this way. Here, here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Like that's where true purpose and hope and joy is. It's not in pursuing all these things in my happenings for my happiness. It's in pursuing God because he created us and he gives us purpose and he gives us joy that's deep as we obey him that supersedes whatever's happening. That's Solomon, the wisest man other than Jesus to ever live. And Paul, in, in some of what he writes, um, echoes some of these things. And it's curious then to look at Paul's happenings before we get into him talking about joy. He goes, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what's happened to Paul? He's, he's, been, uh, he's been beaten multiple times. He's been arrested. He's been thrown in prison. He suffered shipwreck. He had all kinds of crazy things happen to him. Uh, but it's all happened to serve to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout, now he's speaking of his time there in Rome, in the prison, the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment's for Christ. He's like, do you remember the, maybe, he, maybe the, the guy who was his jailer in Philippi is part of the group reading this letter because he became a Christian and part of the church. And 10 years later, he's reading this and he's thinking, oh man, I totally remember how Paul was like that when he was in prison here. That's how I came to faith. And now that's happening in Rome? How great is that? He says, they're all hearing about Christ because of my imprisonment. Uh, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, others who aren't in prison, they're, they're speaking the word with more boldness now. See, if Paul was focused only on his happenings and not on the joy that comes from honoring God and pursuing him, that's deeper than that, this letter would have looked so much different. It would have been just complaining all the time. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, he writes. Others from goodwill, the, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And he's like, so what then? Only that, only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. In that, I have joy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. And one of the ways Paul pursues joy is thankfulness. He writes a, a note of thankfulness to them later when he writes to the church in Thessalonica that he'll visit next. He tells them uh, in chapter five, uh, verses 16 and 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of 
God in Christ Jesus for you. Later in Philippians in chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he, he goes on and says, uh, and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, pray to God. It's a source of joy when you're thankful. You ever spent time just intentionally being thankful? Here's a challenge for you. So every summer we go up to a, a Christian camp in Northern Wisconsin as a family. And there's some teaching during the week and just other fun things going on. And the guy who was teaching this week uh, told the story of his wife who uh, has what she calls thankful Thursdays. Now, before you hear that, if you're like me, when you hear that, I'm thinking, oh boy, this sounds cheesy. Where are we going now? Because that's what I thought. And maybe that's what you're thinking. But as he said it, then in a moment, what he said was kind of profound for me. I haven't done this, but I think I'd benefit from it. Every Thursday when she prays, she commits to only praying prayers of thankfulness to God. She just commits that, you know what, on Thursday, I'm not gonna complain to God when I pray. On Thursdays, I'm not gonna ask for anything. Not that that never happens on Thursday. I don't think she's perfect in this. But on Thursdays, my focus is just thankfulness. Not like just one Thursday out of the year in November, but every Thursday. And so maybe that's just something tangible that you could try. Make it a thankful Thursday and pray prayers of thankfulness every Thursday. And that will yield joy in your heart because it turns your attention from you and your happenings to Christ, which is a source of joy. But true joy comes from partnership in the gospel. I mentioned that right away, right? In chapter one, he thanked them for their partnership in the gospel. And friends, Philip, Philippians is a thank you letter to the church in Philippi who for a solid decade have been pouring out generosity to Paul. Paul's writing a thank you letter. And specifically, he's thanking them uh, for their giving. He's thanking them for their giving. In fact, uh, he says, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to chapter 4, verse 14. And uh, yeah, it's not, not popping up here. Chapter 4, verse 14, I'll just read it to you. Um, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, he says. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. No one else supported me but you. When I had a need and said, hey, I, I don't know if we're going to make ends meet this month as we keep going, you're the only one who wrote the check. You're the only one who sent help when I said we need help. You're the only church that supported me in this way. He goes, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. I have enough having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering. We're going to talk about that guy here in just a second. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, the, the context here, Paul's thanking them for their generosity. Uh, from the very beginning when he got there and he didn't know anybody but met Lydia and these women down by the river to the time he leaves and the, the Philippian comes, jailer comes to faith and others. 
Paul's like, from that moment until even now, a decade plus later, you've been so, so generous to me. And you've, not just to me, but to Christ, you've partnered in the gospel. You know, uh, one of the things as a follower of Jesus that we're to do is to be generous with our stuff, to, to give of our stuff, to give of our time, to say, I, I'm gonna give some time, show up on a Sunday morning and, and worship. And, and by giving that time, you know, I'm actually, I'm giving time to, to you and to one another in the room because I'm saying, everybody here matters that we can grow together in that way, so I'm here. And I wanna hear from God's word, so I'm here. Or I'm gonna serve, so I'm here. And, and so there's, there's giving in that way of my time, but also my talent. Like, I'm, I'm good at this, so I could help there. I have the ability to, you know, I, I can't sing, but I could fix a toilet. Every now and then we got toilets that need fixed. You know, I, I can go help somebody in their home do the same thing. You can give of your talent. You can, you can give also, though, of your treasure, now, the Philippians gave in all those ways, but they especially gave to Paul and to the gospel in partnership from their treasure. They all couldn't go and be with him, but they could give and fund him as he went. And so uh, part of being a disciple of Jesus and a follower of God is to recognize that everything I have doesn't belong to me. It's actually his, and I'm just a steward of it. And so as a follower of Jesus, if you are, uh, my challenge to you then is... Uh, how are you giving of your treasure? Many of you give so generously. And uh, I'm encouraged by that all the time. It's a mark of your maturity and of your growth. Some of you just haven't thought about it. And so I'm just challenging you. Hey, think about this. Because as you give, uh, God blesses that. In fact, God says there's one area in which you can test me. Right? You think, oh, I shouldn't test God. I shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. So isn't that like in the Ten Commandments or something? Well, God says, test me in this. Give and see if I don't refill your storehouses. Uh, so I challenge you to consider giving. You know, in our church, we don't talk about it a lot because we want you to give uh, with a heart that wants to give. But sometimes when you don't know the need, you just, you don't know. Um, our fiscal year ended the end of August and we ended about $30,000 behind budget for the year. Uh, this month, uh, we're about, uh, about $5,500 for the month of September behind what was budgeted for the month of September. So as those trends go, uh, if those trends follow, you know, giving's going, it's not keeping up. And I understand, like, neither is the economy, right? Like, that's just kind of life. And that's okay. God will provide, and we'll be all right. But if, if you haven't thought about giving, uh, I just encourage you to consider it. You know, we've been working on this in our house with our son, Charlie. He's eight years old. He's out there coloring boxes right now. I saw him after the service. He goes, Dad, I heard you were talking about me. I'm like, I was. I gotta be careful what I say. But one of the things we're doing right now, he's got these uh, three little bags at home and one of them says save. So he's doing some chores to save up. He's uh, saving for a, a video game. And he's got another bag that says spend. And so once he saves enough, he can put it in the spend and spend it. And then he has a third bag that we... We've given to him, but we haven't really talked a lot about. But he started asking questions that says give. Dad, what's the give bag for? You could, you could see it in him, right? Like, you, you tell me I have to give stuff away. I got to give away my money. That's my money, Dad. It's like, well, yeah, you do. And uh, God tells us to give 
because he's given to us generously. And we give to, well, well, how do I give to God? Well, you can give through the church. You can give through different organizations. And they do the things then with that money that God tells us we ought to do, like feeding the poor, like we're doing in the room next door. That costs us about $10,000 to do that. Uh, Like uh, paying our our staff and the bills to have a place where we can worship and and, uh, supporting our missionaries overseas as they do ministry. And so just, just, you can pray for him because we're working on that. You pray for me, like fostering that idea of of giving and being generous in his little heart and not just clenching onto everything because God says, when you give, I give back. In fact, if you're still open to Philippians chapter four, go backwards a little bit to, to verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now, and now at length that you've revived your concern for me. You were concerned, but you just didn't have opportunity he goes, I'm not speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm not asking for more, is what he's saying. He's just says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, but he was so encouraged by their, their giving and the way that it, it supported his ministry. So that's a challenge to you to give. And, and when you give, uh, Paul's writing then to thank them for that, but also to encourage them. You know, that's an encouragement for us to one another. As we gather together, as we give of our resources, you know, that guy Paul mentioned, Epaphroditus, was somebody that they gave to him. Um, uh, by the way, verse 19 in chapter 4 uh, As they give, Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. As you've given, uh, he's given to me through you, and uh, trust me, he's gonna fill your storehouses too. He's gonna give to you and supply your needs as you honor him and partner with him. But this guy, Epaphroditus, he shows up in chapter two, and evidently it's a guy that the church in Philippi had sent to Paul. 800 miles from Philippi across Adriatic Sea to Rome in Italy. And he goes to encourage Paul and help him and and probably to bring some of that financial gift to him and pay for his needs while he's in prison. And he says, I've thought it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, chapter two, verse 25. Your messenger and minister to my need. He's been longing for you all and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And there, Paul's like, indeed, he was ill. He, he was so sick, he just about died. But God had mercy on him and on me so that I wouldn't have more sorrow. So I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you can rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. Honor such men. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He, he completed it by just being able to be here physically because I know not everybody can. And, and he, it's just this note of encouragement. Paul was so encouraged by them, and he sends Epaphroditus back to encourage them. And early in chapter two, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, being of, in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of 
others. And Paul's encouraging us in that. He encourages the church in Philippi and us. And, and that comes from our giving, that comes from our participation, being here and connecting in a life group. From, you're, you're gonna have some time to encourage one another in just a few minutes when we go out there to pack food. You've heard him laughing and howling, and we get to go be a part of that here shortly. But let's wrap up talking about this other thing that Paul mentions a lot, which is our mindset. See, true joy comes from partnering in the gospel and keeping the mindset of Christ. In other words, from some intentional thinking, being intentional in my thoughts. Uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, maybe one of the most famous passages in Philippians. Sorry, I thought I got it up on the screen, but I don't have it there for you. Uh, Chapter two, verse three, he writes this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We just read that. And he says in verse five, then after all that, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's like, think like this. Put others first. Encourage one another. Be intentional in your thinking. And uh, here's how Jesus did it. Though he was in the form of God, though he was God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto. But he emptied himself. He didn't quit being God, but he laid down his rights as God. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And uh, later in Philippians, he says, so finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, chapter four, verse eight, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, it's a different translation, meditate on these things. Think on them. Be intentional in your thinking. And ultimately, I'll leave you with this thought that I think is, is part of Paul's letter. See, one pastor calls this a thank you note with some godly advice. It's like Paul's thanking them, but he's leaving them some advice on how to continue living the Christian life because our our salvation is in the past. It's past, like Jesus accomplished our salvation 2,000 years ago. It's it's future. Jesus is coming again. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. But how does he affect us in the present? Because your salvation is present too. Like, it makes a difference today. It does. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, then ask yourself this question. What difference did it make this week for you? How did it affect your relationships, people you talked to throughout the week? How did it affect uh, that challenge you had at work on Thursday or Friday? How did it affect your interaction with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents? See, salvation is not only past and future, but it's present. It's right now. And part of that is, that's why Paul says, choose this mind, think like this. It's it's a choice. And in fact, in your notes there, it says that it's the choice to rejoice. To choose joy. See, uh, Paul writes and he talks about all this joy, but the extent to which you and I experience that joy he talks about, we choose it. It's the extent to which we choose that joy. 
that we choose to think on things, like he writes in verse eight of chapter four, that are true and honorable and just. That I choose to consider others more important than myself. That I choose to rejoice. That I choose, as Paul did in chapter three, to say, I count everything else as loss in this world compared to knowing Jesus. One of the things Paul writes there in chapter three, he says, verse eight, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. He's in prison, he can say this. He's not an infomercial guy, you know, preaching on TV asking for all your money. Like he's, he actually is living it. (laughs) He's like, and I consider all of it loss. Indeed, I count them as rubbish. That word is a little harsher than we think of rubbish. The Greek word is skubala. It's a good word, kind of fun to say. Next time you find yourself frustrated this week, skubala. It might be appropriate. Because literally what it means is a steaming pile. Dog dung. The poop emoji on your phone. Paul's like, I consider everything else as that compared to knowing Christ. I consider like any great wealth, material wealth, pleasure, whatever. Solomon said the same thing, didn't he? In the end, I conclude this, honor God and obey him. That's your duty. It's all rubbish. Scubula compared to knowing Jesus. Now, how did Paul get there? Because this is a guy who's in prison waiting to find out if he's gonna be beheaded. He chose it. He chose it. He set his mind on Christ. He set his mind, as Colossians says, on things above. And to rejoice, friends, is a choice. And so if, if, if you want to experience the joy he's talking about here, we just kind of scratch the surface on this book. But he's writing to them, thanking them uh, for their partnership in the gospel, which brings joy. And he's encouraging them in their mindset that they would be focused on Christ and not on their happenings. Because that too would bring them joy that would pull them through and endure all of these things. So with that in mind, uh, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're going to go and put some of this into practice by just focusing on, on giving. Those of you who are able to stay and, and uh, packing food for people who are in need in Haiti. Sound good? Let's pray.